It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times as we prepare for the biggest game in English football history for the past 55 years. Gareth Southgate 3 Lions versus the Azzurri of Italy at our very own Wembley Stadium. This is the game Euro 2020. I'm Hugh Wisencroft and later on David Walsh will be giving us a remarkable interview on the England boss Gareth Southgate while Ian Hawkey will give us the lowdown on Italy, England's opponents of course but to help me look ahead to all of it, uh, Matt Lawton, Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft, how are you all? Yeah, good, good, good to you. Good, I'm glad everyone seems so happy. At the moment, I am still in disbelief. I'm finding it very hard to relax about this match, I've got to say. And it's all growing, isn't it? All the talk, it's wall to wall. It's exactly what you'd expect in a football mad country. But I, I, my first question really, is there any way of stopping this all getting out of hand by Sunday night and a little bit too much, the talk and the emotion or... Do you think we should just let it all flow? It's been it's been long enough. Matt, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I think we should enjoy it. And I think I think um, <laughs> God, I say that on a on a on a program with two Scotsmen. Um, um, <laughs> sorry, boys. Uh, no, I, look, I, I think Italy have been the best team for me in the tournament from the start. It's going to be an extremely difficult game for England to win. I think they can win it, but but the fact is, I think really. Um, England fans should just enjoy the fact they won the semi-final and they're in a final again. So there's that kind of, it's almost like the build-up to Christmas, isn't it? When you actually get to Christmas Day, it can be a little bit disappointing on the actual day, but the build-up's great. You know, you love Christmas Eve and all that sort of stuff. And I think, I think, I think England should approach it. The English should approach this game in that sort of way. Um, it will get stressful. It was, it was, but I don't think it'll be as stressful as it was the other night. Um, I think that was very stressful because I think semi-finals, and it's the same in the FA Cup. That semi-finals, the, the, there's there's a cruel aspect to it for the losing side to miss out on that sort of showcase moment that you know that 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 ultimate match, and you know it was. It was, I've never known sort of tension like it really. It was, you know, I think from a personal point of view, it was incredibly tense because I was writing a piece about Harry Kane. I had to file it at 90 minutes. And when I was sitting there with the, with the penalty and I was thinking, oh my God, if he misses this penalty, my piece is complete garbage. Like it was complete garbage anyway. But but the <laughs> fact is, the fact is, if he had missed it, I was looking at I was looking at like the worst exam moment in school history. You know, it was going to be like, oh my god, there's not a single sentence of this that I can salvage. Um, 
and and when he did actually miss in that split second, uh, I was I was in a terrible state, and I think I did quietly cheer behind my face mask, but only for the only for the benefit. It had nothing to do with England scoring. It was actually my pace my piece had been saved, but um, but it was uh, yeah. It's look as I say, Hugh, it's going to be. I think an immense weekend. I, th- I think uh, it's it's just going to build towards eight o'clock on Sunday. And as I say, I think people should enjoy it because just the anticipation, they should be excited by that. Every shop I've gone into today doing my errands, as I've left, I've said, come on England. And every shopkeeper has shouted, come on England back. Yeah, that's the level we're at right now. Everyone is right behind the country. It's a great moment. And I think, Matt, you're right. It's going to be a very enjoyable weekend. Um, Johnny, what are you thinking about this? Can can the rhetoric get to the players? Is it all going to be a bit too much by Sunday night? And who knows what happens at, at full time, of course, but could it could it all spiral? I don't think it will, Hugh. In fact, I've been to St. George's Park today and one of the the striking t- takeaways from it was, was the serenity and uh, how unaffected people there seem to be. I saw Harry Kane, I saw Mason Mount, Gareth came by to do a TV interview, smiling as normal. Um, maybe St. George's Park in these moments comes into its own because, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere in the in the, the Staffordshire countryside with, with nothing for miles around. And it's, it is like a bit of a bubble. But th- what struck me was just how normal everyone was, how this kind of like happy place that this team managed to get into when they were in Russia and then have managed to reproduce, you know, uh, culture-wise and so on. It was repeated. That, that's that's how England were. That's how the, the mood was. Um, I know for a fact that they're they're not really consuming much of what we say. They're not really looking at uh, at the media. Um, things are kept to a minimum. They're watching Love Island, but that's about it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think this group and this manager will be affected by the hullabaloo at all. And I would echo what Matt said. I, I think everyone should enjoy it. I think everyone should go a little bit mad if they want to. You know, we we Scots managed to go crazy at a nil-nil draw. You guys are in a final. So my goodness, you know, savor this. Oh, but you know what? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. But you know, savor this because this is this is what it's about. This is this is you've been, you have had your years of hurt. Uh you've had all your sort of torture with, with, with England teams. This is what it's about. This is it's fun and and after the summer and the year we've had, um, you know, th- this feels great. I'm not English, but this feels great. This 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 feels fun to be part of, um, and goodness knows how I'd actually feel if it was my team. But I like this team, and and, and you should all enjoy it. Gregor, what are your thoughts about it? It's going to be a magnificent weekend for England fans, um, and it's one I think that we do need to savor. Yeah, you've got to enjoy it, and I actually think you know, just listen to you there. I think that England have already kind of bypassed the. Of course, there's going to be pressure on them and it's going to be tense and it's going to be edgy. But, you know, in the past, it's always been if you if you don't get out of the group stage or you fall out the, at the last 16, there's kind of wait, you know, there's a wave of opprobrium waiting for you. That's gone. You've already broken new ground, you know, as a team, as a, as a country <laughs> for, you know, for 55 years. Um, so I, I actually think, of course, the game, the 90 minutes is going to be, it's going to be weighty. Even if, even if it, I think it's gonna be a game decided on really fine margins. And even if you, even if you fall on the wrong side of those margins, this has been a momentous achievement 
for England and for Gareth Southgate and for the players. Um, I wanted to use this as a bit of a therapy session, Matt. Um, I guess that the negative historical memories of England won't hurt as much for Gregor and Jonathan as they do for you and I. What is the, what is the England memory you're most looking forward to, to erasing from memory and, and casting to the wind come what may this weekend? I think it had kind of been erased already, Hugh, by this, by, you know, by the last two tournaments, really. Um, look, I, my, my, I've got a gut feeling and, and I did correctly predict 2-1 uh, ahead of the previous game. So Nostradamus here. Um, <laughs> but no, um, I, I, I think, I think this one's, you know what? This is 1-1 with penalties written all over it. I think, I think it's going to be a really tight game. Uh, and I just think this is the one that is going to end in penalties. And it's impossible to call how how that will go for obvious reasons. Um, so no, look, I, I, I think a lot of that, a lot of that sort of anxiety, a, a, a lot of those memories have been cured, erased, you know, however you want to put it. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think a lot of wisdom from Johnny and Gregor there. Uh, and I think we just got to accept it's been, you know, these things are often decided on fine margins. I think they will be decided on incredibly fine margins on Sunday. And whatever happens, it has been a great tournament. So I don't think that's really in the psyche, in the English psyche at the moment. I think, uh, yes, they want to win it. I think, you know, today, um, as I say, Johnny was there, I wasn't, but um, obviously still limited numbers with COVID. But I heard Southgate was talking about, you know, talking to the players about which colour medal you want. And it kind of reminded me of of what Alex Ferguson said at half time in Barcelona in 99. And, and he was inspired that day, that night rather, by something Steve Archibald had said to him. Um, after losing the European Cup final when he was at Barcelona, and and it was and what Archibald said to him was, it was that that pain of not being able to touch the trophy at the end of it, of not being able to lift it, of not being able to go anywhere near it, and I kind of sensed that that was the kind of thing that 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 that, that, that was what Southgate was trying to communicate to his players to get this close, but not quite get there, and. That to me was the sense of what Southgate was saying to the media today, and I guess for them, they want to make that final step. They want to get their hands on that trophy, and for them, it will be defeat will be painful. I think for the fans, it's slightly different. I think they already feel that they've done brilliantly, and and victory will be an enormous bonus, but will be a bonus. What do you think, Gregor, Johnny? I know you don't have the exact same historical memories of England, but what do you think about what Matt has had to say, Gregor? Well, memories, no. I mean, as I say, I just, I just always sort of associated the England team with like a maelstrom of outside sort of angst and pressure and, you know, sideshows or the wags and whatnot. There's always been something going on and all of that has been swept away. So, this is all you're already in a much better place than I think you've ever been, certainly in my adult lifetime. Um, and and I, th- I agree with Matt. I think that the last two tournaments, there's a, the sense that England are doing everything right, really. They've, there's been a clean slate. They've, they've got a lot of kind of intelligent guys that have got experience in other sports and other disciplines, and everyone's contributing to 
really kind of cover every every fine detail, every every last aspect of of performance. And so I, I think everyone kind of everyone realizes that now and sees that that this is an intelligent intelligently run kind of setup, and you kind of you're getting the results of it. So. I, <laughs> I really don't know what else to say apart from you've got you've got it's taking you this far. It's taking you to the final, and it's not always been thrilling to watch. It's not always been, you know. I think the angst in the past, even in the early rounds, as you say, the Scotland game. You know, why is he not throwing on all of, all your thrilling attacking players? All of that has been he's kind of silenced it all. So now you've just got to go out there and trust one more time that you can make the right decisions to to hopefully make you win the win the tournament. I've been covering England since what 2001 now and you know I've seen a lot of the debacles and I I know that kind of on paper theoretically Iceland was the nadir and and maybe you know the 2014 World Cup getting knocked out before the first week was over um but those those aren't the ones I actually think about I think Iceland was something that I can just happen to anyone I mean it was awful but it was a team just you know a complete you know, wheels came off and 2014 was actually fine margins. The, the England debacles I think back to are, you know, 2010 going with this manager who's paid seven million quid a year, who had everything in his favour and all these great players, or going to the 2006 World Cup with the supposedly golden generation, staying in the most opulent hotel in the most posh sort of town in in Germany, and and it's those England failures where England turned up full of bluster and hope and expectation and money and, and stars and everything in their favour and then just kind of blew it by not being cohesive enough as a team or serious enough really from a sporting sense. And I think what this team's done is the exact opposite. And that's why I think they're winners, whatever happens in the final, because Gareth's team makes the most of what they've got from a culture point of view. They're the antithesis of the kind of you know, stupid excesses of the past. And they've reset England. Of course, it's been said before, but I do think that th those are the failures that have been killed off by this team. And that's how England have changed. And if it doesn't go right against Italy, um, Italy are a fine team. And England should think they can win it. I agree with Matt. But if it doesn't happen, I think they've still um, in, uh, Changed, changed the conversation, and that's an amazing, that's a massive achievement. It was not something that I necessarily expected to happen after seeing that pattern played out for so long with England in the past. I think, I think what you, I think Johnny, you're so right, and and I think what people forget you is that it was actually there were times covering England um, and and just looking at England um, sort of earlier this this century, it was comical. <laughs> it, it was absolutely comical. You know, I was writing about it this morning about about the sort of boot camp that Capello had. You know, one of the things that um, Southgate said after after the game on on Wednesday night was that one of the keys to to the players still being full of running and you know and and looked a lot fitter than the Denmark players was because they they're, they're managing them the, the players better. Then they're, they're not running them into the ground. You know, Capello was. You know, double sessions in the Austrian Alps for yeah. the 2010 World Cup at the end of a football season. But then there was the, the the madness of it all, and yeah, chucking all that money at Capello, chucking all that money at Ericsson. You know, because they panicked after Keegan, and 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 they thought, oh no, we, you know, we just haven't got the coaches. We need to we need to go and find 
you know the guy from you know the, the, the guy from Sweden who had been a success in Italy. We need we need to go and chuck five million a year at him. This was twenty years ago, Hugh. That we're chucking <laughs> that kind of money around, and 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 yet we get to the two thousand six World Cup, and you've got <laughs> you've got you know the father of Gary and Phil Neville standing on a table in a restaurant holding an inflatable <laughs> World Cup. <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got you know, with the paparazzi you, outside. Yeah, with the paparazzi outside. Yeah, you know, you've got. There was a wonderful moment on the TV the other night, and Gabby Logan was recalling the 2006 World Cup and bumping into Peter Crouch with a tennis racket, saying, "Do you fancy a game of tennis?" You know, like, it's just, you know, it's just. Uh, madness. The whole thing was madness, uh, 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 and and yeah, the Wags thing was extraordinary. Like, I was in the same hotel. Were you in the same hotel? Were you in the Wags hotel, John? I can't remember. I wasn't, Matt. No, I, uh, I came over for a few drinks, and it was unbelievable. Yeah, I I, I, I was, <laughs> and it was it was bonkers. You know, you had Brooklyn Beckham trying to sell the International Herald Tribune to people. Bless him, he was trying to make an extra <laughs> couple of euro, and he wanted to say to him, "You don't need the money, mate. Honestly, trust me, you don't need the money." And and. and uh, and you know, uh, he, you know, he he he, he, pun he, he punched Neil Ashton in the back at breakfast one morning, which I always remember. Uh, it's sort of, <laughs> sort of in a playful way, but it was bonkers. Matt Dickinson's kids playing with the uh, playing with the Beckham kids in the garden. Like that's just you know, <laughs> what, what was going on. It turns out, Hugh, there's quite a lot of memories. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 are, there are memories, but I, I was kind of I, 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 when when you asked me that, Hugh, I was thinking more about the sort of the scars. That was just the the craziness, and 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 yeah, and 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 I think I touched on this in a piece this morning. Southgate caught the start of that. You know, he was still there. He he was still around that madness in two thousand and two. He, he you know he saw all that. I think he was still there two thousand three when they went to South Africa before the. Yeah, they were they went to play it out in South Africa. I think that was two thousand and three. So he saw that, and I think he's he's taking those lessons. And I do think I do think you know I, I was talking to my wife about this last night, who's Irish and has got a bet on the Italians. So I'm, I'm quite glad I'm going to be at the game because there could be some sort of domestic incident if it, if we were actually watching the game <laughs> together on Sunday night. But 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 it um it you know. I think there's a lot to be proud of this team. I, you know, I felt I felt pride in watching them take the knee the other night, as I have done for the whole sort of tournament when other teams have 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 stayed on their feet. And and I think, yeah, they, I can see why Johnny and Gregor like this team. You know, and and I think that's the thing. And I, I think a lot of that's down to Southgate. It's down to the players as well, but a lot of it's down to him. All of what you've said really leads me into this next question. It's it's really. F you know, it's all about football when I ask this question, but do you, do you think this summer has changed the way that the fans, the media, and importantly, the players view the international game? Maybe it, it will affect how they view the domestic game as well. You know, has, has our thinking been changed so quickly, Gregor? I think it's definitely changed their, their view of playing for England. And I think, you know, this has all been said. I think that the, the way that, you know, the players have, have often championed certain, you know, social justice causes and, you know, they, they just seem like good, relatable guys. And, you know, there's no, there are, there's no real distractions. There's nothing, there's nothing as much as, you know, a lot, certain sections of the English media like to point the finger and, and point out flaws and stuff. There aren't, there aren't many flaws. Um, so I think, I think absolutely it'll change the relationship between, and change the kind of perception of 
England as a national football team. But when it comes to the football, when it comes to the football really is what I'm talking about. You know, are we all going to see it differently from here on out? The fans, the media, the players in terms of the way that England have got through this tournament, changing all of our thoughts about what England should be, because we've always tried to mimic someone else. We want it to be like Germany. We want it to be like Spain. What I'm asking really is, are we going to stop now saying the manager's got to do X and Y on the back page every time England are going to play and fans in the pub saying that? Is it now a case of we're going to sit back and finally say, let's trust the people in these positions to do the right thing? Because maybe all of those debates, all of those arguments were born out of the fact that things were going so badly at the FA and with England. I think people always have, um, they always want to tell the England manager how he should do his job and we'll try, we'll probably continue to do that in the and the back pages as well that that'll never go away but i, I know what you're getting at here because i i think there's no need anymore for england or english players or or, or football people to feel any th- any sense of inferiority that, that there really isn't we've seen seen in this tournament there's still things that the foreigners if, if i can use that term slightly ironically do better can still do like pass the ball around in midfield um but in terms of game management, in terms of tactical, you know, game plans that that are really clever and 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 target parts of the opposition. In terms of keeping the ball at the back. In terms of one-on-one talent when when you got the ball at your feet. In terms of efficiency, um, there's nothing nothing England have to be scared of anymore. You know, Matt mentioned that that kind of mentality at the FA. Oh, we need to get an Italian. We need to get a Swede. There's no need for. I got a Southgate has grown as a coach and shown. Um, that you know him and Steve Holland together that um, an intelligent learned football man from from these aisles can compete at this level and I think if Eng- England haven't played the most exciting football but it hasn't been bad football it's been it's been very clever football it has been I'm not the first to mention it but it's been like France in 2018 but I think the tournament has been so good that if something's changed our attitude relationship with international football it might just be that this tournament has reminded us that there's a level or at least there's this level of entertainment or magic that a a tournament or an international football can have that even the champions league or premier league doesn't touch it might be might not be the you know technical level is another matter but just in terms of like something that sweeps you away and has got a narrative to it you still can't beat a tournament and if england end up winning it as a result uh, you know, winning this magical tournament, then, I, you know, this cements international football, re-cements it. One thing about football, and that is it might, it might kind of teach you that playing with control is a virtue. It's not, it's not all about, you know, fast-paced, dynamic, th- you know, throwing all your best players on the pitch and going out to win 3-0 every game. I think if you win, if you go, if you win the tournament by keeping clean sheets apart from that direct free kick and being really efficient, I think it might kind of make people change their view of, of that a little bit, but I don't know if it'll work for long. <laughs> I said that to you before. I said, I, I think the, I think the English public, and I think it's not just the English public. I think everyone wants to see a certain style of football and, but if you're winning, it doesn't matter as much. So if you win the tournament, it might, it might change that perception a little bit. Matt, are the, the, the media going to be more relaxed about England from here on out? Hey, look, you know, the, the, I think their next game after after Sunday is Andorra. If they lose 7-0 to Andorra, Hugh, 
(laughs) (laughs) which is obviously not going to happen no yeah there should be i look i think what it is i remember speaking to harry redknapp years ago and picking his brains and trying to get him to explain to me you know what makes a good manager and and he just almost shot me down he just said it's about players it's about play- management is about players. If you've got good players, you've got a fighting chance. And I really think that, that yes, Southgate has done a tremendous job because I think, I think he understands the role of England manager better than certainly anybody since Venables. And, and I think, but I do think he's benefiting you from the fact that there was a change in culture in English football with the sort of development of the academies in the Premier League, with the sort of with 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 the foreign influences actually, with with the different foreign managers coming into the clubs, and and you know the the, 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 the gripe for decades with English footballers was a lack of technical ability. That's no longer an issue because because the Fodens and the Mounts and and that are, are products of these of these advanced Premier League academies. And, and and we now have players, you know, populating the England squad who are very good technically and, and can hold their own at this sort of level. And I, I think that's been the benefit. You know, when you're, when you're watching, and I know Harry Maguire came up from, a, you know, a less uh, illustrious route to, to, to the top, but you, you're watching that game the other night and Harry Maguire is playing these quite brilliant passes from defence. That, that, you know, it's, you know, we used to rave about Rio Ferdinand having that ability and he was a tremendous, tremendous centre-half. But, you know, Stones and Maguire, there's proper ability on the ball, their proper ability to control the ball, make time for themselves. And and you look right through the England team and and, and that, that ability exists. Uh, before we move to looking ahead to the game specifically, in a moment we'll hear from David Walsh talking about Gareth Southgate before Ian Hawkey tells us all about Italy. But just finally on this, you know, before before we talk about the ins and outs of the game specifically, from a wider perspective, does it matter what happens on Sunday night? And you can interpret that question really how you like. Gregor, I'll come back to you. Does it matter? I mean, barring a kind of a humiliation <laughs> on either side. <laughs> uh, no, as I, I've said it, I've said it before. I think that this has already been a, a huge leap forward. Um, all those things that Johnny said about you, you no longer have to feel any sort of sense of inferiority to anyone, really. So no, I, no, I think England have already they've already done something special. They've already done something that people have been waiting many many years for and they've already created a kind of bit of euphoria in, in the country which was very welcome so no, if they if they as i say if they fall fall the wrong side of very fine margins they will still be you know they will be treated as heroes there's not going to be unless it's like uh something humiliating which it's not going to be because there's no signs of that at all and they've been very as i say they played with control and very, very hard to break down. Um, there's no way that England losing kind of detracts from how big a step they've taken this this summer. I, I'd echo that. I, I don't think anything is particularly lost um, in terms of progress if, if, if England don't do it. But winning matters. I mean, let's be honest here. Winning, 
would define the conversation for the next few decades. Winning would make these guys immortal and, and it would it would be the reference point for the summer of twenty twenty one. It would be incredible for, for you know the country and for English football. So I don't think they can England can lose in a sense, but I think they can win. I think I think this could just take this team and, and 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 things to another level and then looking ahead to the World Cup, which is coming up so close. It's only, you know, eighteen months away. Um, you know, another thing I think we've learned is that there's not a lot to be scared of in terms of the the best teams in Europe at the moment. That you know, there are teams that are clearly going to be really good, but England are still on the upward curve. And I'm you know, I'm looking at Belgium end of cycle, Germany too far to come. Um, you know, in a short space for the World Cup, France, you know, a bit of a crossroads. Spain, very interesting. You know, that you can see them being brilliant. Um, and you can see Italy being really good, but you know England can win. It can be the best thing um, of these guys' lives and, and lots of fans' lives, and it can tee them up beautifully for for twenty twenty two. So there's a lot on the table to to take. If they don't do it, fine. But what an opportunity, Matt. What do you think? Even a penalty shootout doesn't matter what happens. I think it does matter. Uh, what matters to me more, though, Hugh, is that if they do do it, that they. It's and I and I think I, I'm confident that Southgate understand, understands this, but they do it with humility and and that they they stay grounded, they don't become aloof. You know, it will be incredible if they do it. But I, I guess again, it's probably living with and having an Irish wife. But it's it's I'm very I'm I'm painfully aware of that sort of accusations of English arrogance and English. You know, just just getting carried away with ourselves, and so I really hope that I hope they do win it. But and and I, and I do believe if if they do win it under Southgate, it will be done with humility. I love the fact that um, that 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 the bulk of that prize money, if they do win it, that nine point four million pounds that's going to go to the players, they're, they're planning to give a load of it to the NHS. Again, it's it's another reason to admire this group of players. But I just want them to stay the way they are. You know, I, I, I want this to continue. I, I don't want. I don't want the success if they, if they do achieve, uh, you know, winning the European Championship. I don't want it to change them. That that would be the thing to me. It'd be great to congratulate them. It'd be great to see the the plaudits that would follow. I'm quite sure we'll see a knighthood for Gareth Southgate and all that kind of stuff that inevitably happens when the politicians jump on it and try and capitalise on it and want to be associated with the with sporting success. But yeah, I just hope that it's as I say, I trust Gareth Southgate to get that bit of it right. But for me, it's really important to win the right way if they do win it. I mean, I would have no problem with you getting carried away for yourself. <laughs> Not blame you one bit. We, one, as yeah. I said, we got away with a nil-nil carried away with a nil-nil draw. <laughs> <laughs> so go yeah, fly away. You can get carried away, but you you know, but it is. I know what you mean. Yeah, know. But you know, you know, it, it it's just keep it real, you know. Well, up next on the Game Podcast, an Irish voice to try and keep it real with us. David Walsh will be telling us all about the one, the special one, Gareth Southgate. The pair, of course, uh, have a close relationship. He's going to offer us some incredible insight to the England manager. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from, and make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times right now. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Well, if England are to win Euro 2020, as has already been pointed out, he might receive a knighthood. Gareth Southgate, the manager, will uh, deserve huge, huge credit for the change of attitude, the change of temperament, the change of direction that England has taken under his time in charge. And thankfully, earlier on, I was able to speak to David Walsh of The Times, who currently is out covering the Tour de France for us, but once wrote a biography alongside Gareth Southgate. After all those experiences, remember missing the penalty in 1996, of course. Very close relationship between the two men, but I I did catch up with him just before the start of another stage of the tour. So started by asking him if he's enjoying the cycling and has enjoyed the football as well. Yes, I have. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's been good because, Hugh, what I do is we, we travel from place to place in the Tour de France, watch the stage finish, uh, file a report for the Times or the Sunday Times, and then by, you know, by about half half eight French time, which is half seven UK time, I'm leaving leaving the center press center to get myself to a television so i've been able to see all the all the important games certainly all the england games and it's been hugely enjoyable to see the team you know an england team deliver on its potential which obviously you know hasn't happened for a long time so it's been great to watch this and of course um gareth southgate is a man that you know well you've worked together you've written a book together are you in any way surprised by what's been happening in England? Um, no, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. I'm certainly not surprised that Gareth has had such a positive influence on the national team. I mean, at the point we were writing the book, um, Gareth was was playing for England at a World Cup in 2002. Well, of course, it's wrong to say he was playing for England because he was in the squad and he didn't actually get on the pitch in, in that World Cup, which took place in Japan and South Korea. and. Uh, I felt his frustration at that time. He really was frustrated, not just that he could, well, I suppose principally because he wasn't in the team or he wasn't being brought on as substitute, but he found it a bit of a a soul-destroying experience because the then manager and Gareth really wasn't that critical of Ericsson, but he told it as it was. I mean, Sven-Jorn Ericsson had no idea that to build a team culture in the way to maximize the team's potential. You really had to look after the players who weren't in your team. 
I mean, Ericsson's way was to basically ignore the Gareth Southgate's, the, the Robbie Fowler's, the Martin Keown's, who were who were at that World Cup but not playing in the team. And Gareth, you know, found that pretty difficult, as did all the players who weren't, you know, getting game time. And Gareth would have decided, well, if ever I'm in a position where I'm manager of England, I'm going to make sure that the guys who are not in the team feel part of it and feel appreciated. And anybody who's watched Gareth being interviewed before or after games, I mean, when does he miss an opportunity to give credit to those players we don't see on the pitch, especially the three players who don't get into the matchday squad? So I haven't been surprised. I mean, Gareth would have had to betray every value he had to not do it in the right way because he knew from his own experiences, which weren't always positive, what the wrong ways were to do it. And uh, he, he, I mean, we've all seen the the result of the togetherness of the English team, um, how united they are, how they support each other. And it's been a really, it's it's been a joyous thing to watch. It's interesting you mentioned the way that he draws on his own experiences to help him uh, during his time as the England manager. I mean, the one that, of course, stands out for all England fans is his missed penalty at Euro 96. But it's been really interesting to hear Gareth Southgate reflect on that time, especially as we played Germany earlier on in the competition, the opponents back in 96. And he was able to answer so many questions about, you know, 25 years since, etc., etc. And he always really spoke about the fact that it, not that it didn't affect him, but that he learned to use that experience in a positive way and it has driven him on in some way. From your experiences, how how did it affect him at the time? And how did he learn to to use those experiences in, the, in a positive way? Well, it certainly affected him hugely at the time. You know, he felt like he was... He was, you know, the, the nation's villain, the bad guy, the guy who 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 had cost his his country, a, a, you know, a place in the European Championship final. And um, the thing about Gareth was, he, he was never going to point out to anybody. Well, the reason I end up having to take a penalty is that other players were uncomfortable players. <clears throat> who might more logically have been thought as, as, as penalty takers for England were uncomfortable with the responsibility. I mean, Gareth would never, would never have said that. I remember he, he told me, though, because in a way, you know, you, you, have to, you have to have some perspective. You feel like, you've, as Gareth did, that he'd let the country down. He felt responsible. And at the same time, he's an intelligent guy. So he knows that nobody's been killed and that he hasn't murdered anybody or he hasn't done something appalling. He's just taken a bad penalty. So he, he, but he, but in the immediate aftermath, um, he and his now wife, Alison, um, decided to, you know, go away. And I think they went to Thailand and they're away and they go then and, and to get away from it all, they go to a remote island, you know, somewhere very remote and they're on a boat being take, taken there. And the guy on the boat says to Gareth, he says, um, where are you from? And Gareth says, England. And the guy, not realizing who he was talking to, said, oh, Southgate, the, the penalty. And Gareth looked at Alison and said, you know, w- doesn't matter where we go, we're never going to get away from this. And it has stayed with him for sure. Everybody remembers him as the kind of, you know, almost the fall guy from that. But, but Gareth is too bright and too strong to have to have let that experience affect him in a negative way. You know, he's for sure he's been motivated. And I remember at one point he said to me that he felt 
he would fulfill himself in management in a way that he hadn't fulfilled himself as a player. Because Gareth Southwick was good enough to play for one of the top clubs. And there were times when he'd looked like he might be going to one. Chelsea certainly wanted to wanted to buy him at a time when Chelsea Chelsea were good. And Doug Ellis wouldn't wouldn't allow Gareth to leave Aston Villa at the time. And Gareth, you know, in a way got, you know, he never did get his chance to play for a team that was going to end up in the Champions League. And and that was a disappointment of his career. I mean, he, he played in the Europa League final. He played he won he won two League Cups but he didn't get anything like the success as a player that his talent and dedication deserved. But in his eyes, there would be a second chance in management. And 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 if you had given him the opportunity, you know, as a as a player in his kind of early thirties, who's beginning to consider his 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 imminent retirement from the game, um, if you'd said to him, you know, what would what would the ultimate experience be? He would have said at that point managing England and doing well with an England team because, you know, Gareth used to, when Gareth went to Sven Jorn Eriksson and said, Sven, you know, I know I'm not your first pick at centre-back. That was probably Sol Campbell. I know I'm not second. That's Rio Ferdinand. And now you've got Jonathan Woodgate in before me. I'm fourth choice. You know, please tell me what I need to do better. Just tell me the because I'll work on it. And Sven looks at him blankly and says, Garrett, you're a really good player. You'll always be in my squad, but I picked the team, and that's it. And 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 Garrett is kind of screaming for something to do to make himself better. So that would that kind of experience was frustrating. But 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 Garrett's reason for going to Ericsson was he wanted Ericsson to know that he, Garrett Southgate, was an Englishman first and a footballer second. So playing for my country is the biggest thing I can do because I'm not, I'm not going back to a club that plays in the Champions League. I don't have those kind of experiences. So this is it for me. I'm not making it into your team. And please tell me how I can improve. And of course, Ericsson had no idea. Now, Garrett makes the point that most managers would have done the same as Ericsson. They won't tell you what you need to do to get to, to get better because they're not really that sure and they don't even think you have the right to ask. Well, I, t- well, I can tell you that any young England player or any England player, young or old, who's not in Garrett's first 11, and if that player goes to Garrett and says, Garrett, what do I need to do? They, they will get a very detailed and constructive reply from Garrett because the one certainty was, and this is the theme really of his management in my eyes, he, he's learned from his experiences as a player and what he's learned he's put into practice as England manager. You've spent time with some uh, huge figures in the world of sport over the years. Um, people with great charisma, you know, really detailed in terms of their approach to their own bodies. Uh, people who can deal fantastically well with the media, for example. So many different types of superstars, really. And I wondered where you thought Gareth Southgate's character ranked amongst some of those great figures in sport. You know, does he have the same type of mentality? Does he have the same type of charisma for you? Where does he rank? Um, to me, he, he uh, um, Hugh, and I'm not saying this because I'm a fan of the, well, it, it's part, I mean, I'm, of course I'm a fan of the guy, but I really do believe that he's, like seriously high up there. And, and let me explain that in a way. I don't believe that managers have the influence that we say, that we, the journalists, um, say they have, that the public have believed they've had. And, and my belief is that 
that that great results and great achievement comes down to the strongest players in the dressing room. So when I look back at, say, Manchester United and the success they had in the Premier League, I say, well, as long as Manchester United had Roy Keane leading them and as long as they had um, the great players they had, when Van Nistelrooy was scoring all the goals or when Paul Scholes was brilliant in midfield, um, when Ryan Giggs was was at his best, when when Gary Neville was a kind of an inspiring type of um, fullback, those guys set the culture at Man United and they and to me, they were hugely influential as to what United did. And for every team you see around that achieves great success, you will always find a core of really strong players um, and very influential players. And I look at I look at um, what Garrett's done with the England team. And he's basically nurtured an environment where the strong players, I mean, I'm thinking of people like, you know, I mean, Harry Kane, you know, Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, um, Raheem Sterling, um, Kyle Walker. You can see those guys are leading this England team in the way that they should. And what Gareth has done is established a relationship with those guys where he can he can basically trust them to lead the team in the in the way that Gareth believes it it should be led. And I would argue that the relationship Gareth has with his with his best players, with his most influential players, and, and as a result of that, with the entire squad, because the younger players in the in the squad are going to take their cue from the senior players. So the relationships that Gareth has established, I would argue, are stronger than the relationships, for example, that Pep Guardiola would have with his best players at Man City, that Klopp would have with the best players at Liverpool. Because as great as those coaches are, and you could argue that they are superior coaches to Gareth Southgate, that they've done more, and, and I, I, I get that argument. But what I wouldn't, I wouldn't concede is that their relationships are, are, are based, you know, or have the, the foundation that Southgate's relationship has with his players. Because Gareth has taken this a stage further. What he said to the players basically in the England squad is, you are serious kind of athletes, serious footballers. We can all see that. But you're also human beings. And if there's stuff that's kind of peripheral to to the game, but important to you, that's important to me. And we've seen the way Gareth has supported the players on the issue of taking the knee. And to me, that's been a huge thing in the development of the camaraderie within the England team. Because England players, you know, have been racially abused when they played away in Eastern Europe, but also on social media at home by their own fans. And that probably hurts just as much as being abused on some away ground in Eastern Europe. And Gareth has said to them, "If I know this bothers you and it bothers me, so what do we do? And the player said, this is what we'd like to do. And what Gareth doesn't say is, look, that's going to upset some of our supporters. And it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to make it, it's going to make our lives difficult and we need to concentrate on the football. What Gareth has said is, we're not just sticking to the football. We're standing up for ourselves as human beings and we're doing the right thing by the, by kind of greater, you know, in the, in the greater society sense beyond football. And I think the players will have, will have cherished that support from Gareth Southgate and, and it's helped to forge a relationship that I think is on a different level to any relationship between a group of players 
and their coach. I mean, I don't believe for a second that England's players uh, in rugby, for example, will look upon Eddie Jones in any way like the England footballers look on Gareth Southgate. I can imagine that when, when Gareth Southgate has left his job and the England players are no longer playing for England and that they've moved into retirement, I can imagine there will be a bond between the current England players and Gareth Southgate that will, that will transcend their, their playing and, mani- and, and management careers. And, and, and we're seeing the product of that then on the pitch in that have we, have we ever seen an England team so together that fights, got into a difficult situation going a goal down against Denmark and immediately created two great chances, one of, one of which resulted in a goal and got themselves back and then you would say, you know, not, not completely controlled, but we're the better team for the rest of the match and fully deserve their victory. And that's the kind of performance we haven't, we haven't always seen from England teams in major tournaments. So to me, this guy has been, um, he, he has been a godsend for, for, the, for the England um, football team. And I can't see how they won't go on improving. Absolutely brilliant insight from David Walsh there. And if you listen to Stories of Our Times right now on the Times radio app, you will get more of that great and rich relationship that David has with the England boss, Gareth Southgate, who has to be wary. He's done a great job so far, but the Italians are coming. I got the lowdown on Roberto Mancini's side from Ian Hawkey. Ian, so much of the focus has been around Gareth Southgate in England, of course, domestically. But we really do have to take our time to think about their opposition at the weekend because Italy have been a magnificent team so far in this competition with so many great qualities. What are England needing to be most concerned about when it comes to Roberto Mancini's team? I guess if I was to to isolate one area of the pitch, I would say the midfield. That's where Italy exert their control. That's where they've set the tempo when they've been at their best in this tournament. I think it's probably also, if you look on paper, where you might say, oh, this is a really savvy, worldly Italy and Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, they've never played in the Champions League, whereas Jorginho's just won it. Marco Verratti was in the last final. So, you know, I I think if you were going to be a little nervy about an imbalance, that would be it. and Jorginho has been excellent throughout the tournament. You know, his, his passing, his, um, his, his retaking of possession. Um, Verratti was a, a little quiet, I thought, in the semi-final against Spain, but he's absolutely crucial to uh, Mancini. And, you know, he's, he's going to be pugnacious, aggressive, and he's going to be quick thinking. Uh, so I, I, I would say if there if there is an edge, it's it's probably in that area on paper. Having said that, Rice and Phillips have done extremely well so far, but um, uh, possibly you know the the case for Henderson might come into Gareth Southgate's mind. Just bearing in mind how how domineering that Italy midfield can be. Interesting if Jordan Henderson were to start this game. So many before talking about uh, why he shouldn't be there. Of course, he only played, I think he hadn't played for a few months, maybe once on the bench for Liverpool at the end of the season uh, before being picked in the squad. But he's played his part. So many players have played their part, even the ones that haven't started regularly. Um, I can't imagine there would be many surprises in England starting eleven, but... 
maybe Emerson Palmieri, the left-back area. Of course, he's coming for Spinat Solo, who was brilliant, but it got got sadly injured during the tournament. Um, maybe that's an area for England to succeed in. Do you think Bakayo Saka or Jaden Sancho or even Raheem Sterling, if he were to move to the right-hand side, could have an effect in this game in that area? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say in a, in a way that's that's probably the, the converse of, of, of the midfield. Um, England on the flanks, and obviously I include the, the fullbacks in this, have, have, have been very, very effective, haven't they? And Italy... That is where they obviously have a problem because Spinazzola was outstanding until he got that very cruel injury. And the backup, as you say, is principally Emerson, who hasn't played much football for Chelsea. Um, I thought Emerson did an okay job overall against Spain. Um, but it, it, there are enough question marks over him that I think that, you know, there's still a debate uh, within Italy about whether. You move a, a right footer across to that position, um, and yeah, it, it's it, it's clearly somewhere that they'd be worried about, and they would look at what England have done down that flank throughout the tournament. Walker, Saka, Sancho, with his performance against um, Ukraine, and, and think, yeah, this is this is going to this would be a test for uh, the very best in form, unrusty uh, left back, and uh, that, we haven't got one of those. Loads being made about Gareth Southgate, of course, domestically and the impact that he's had on the England squad. So away from the game, I did want to talk to you about Roberto Mancini because, of course, Italy have been on an incredible unbeaten run with him in charge. What has he done to change not only tactically Italy under his reign, but also the thinking because they had missed out on a couple of tournaments before he came in. And now they look like next year at the World Cup, they could go and challenge. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 um, it really is a, a full throttle renaissance, um, given where they were in late 2017 when, when they lost that playoff against Sweden to get to Russia. And, and they lost it really horribly. You know, went 180 minutes without scoring a goal against, a, you know, against a typically organized sound Sweden. Um, but it was, that, that, that was a real Nadir. They had a, an uninspiring coach um, who who was, I, I think, probably cruelly you say now, given that he he led them to their greatest World Cup failure in more than half a century, um, was was uncharismatic and seemed to be unimaginative. Um, so Mancini comes in and it's is obviously very very charismatic as we know, um, and he he really has changed uh, the culture, um, the the fear and defeatism. Uh, has gone, you know. They 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 played some beautiful football. They've also, you know, they've also played some some canny spoiling football when necessary in the knockout stage. So, um, you know, they're, they're not all they're not all abandoned and and, and swagger. Um, I, I think part of the success with him is that he spread his net really really wide. He's picked a huge number of players in whatever it is two and a half years. So, um, I guess I guess that's thorough in a way, but it also for those for those twenty six who've made it, they, you know they they feel like they've 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 come through a, a tough process. They feel like they've got the backing of the the manager, um, and by by all accounts, the the atmosphere is terrific. You know, there's a there's a real unity, happiness. That's what the, the players keep saying, isn't it? That we're, we're actually really enjoying our football, um, as if that couldn't have been taken for granted in the past. Which you know maybe that's the case in the international game, and they, and they don't seem to be obvious club divisions, which there have been sometimes 
in Italian squads in the past. So, yeah, yeah, he seems to have done all the, the aspects right, tactically and and in terms of mood and motivation and, and you know, a, a forward-looking optimism. I've got to say, I wonder what you think about it, the, the games that the Italian media are playing, you know, obviously after the penalty decision against Denmark, loads of the talk in Italy was around... You know, whether it was very, very fortunate, but but maybe a little bit more than that. UEFA, I think in certain quarters, um, you know, thanking Boris Johnson, I think was the headline with the penalty decision. And now Bjorn Kuypers, the referee, of course, he's had his, um, I guess, a few incidents with Italian clubs in the past. You know, you've now got Gazzetta della Sport saying he's the wrong appointment, you know. What are the mind games like? Do they actually think it's going to work? Well, on the first mind game that somehow um, UEFA have decided that uh, Boris Johnson is the important executive who needs to be rewarded for the shape of modern football, possibly don't have much insight into how Boris Johnson actually operates. But um, I mean, that's it, it, it's silly. It's a you know it's a uh, it's a it's a fetching yarn. But um, uh, I, I would doubt how many people take that very seriously you, you know we are we're talking about a land where the conspiracy theory is is popular and nourished and uh, and indulged um I, 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 no no world cup no no appointment of a referee for a major final ever goes unnoticed you know there's always there's always there's always some backstory that uh, people can develop a, a, a grudge about um yeah i mean it, you know it'll it, it it's a good wind-up, isn't it? But I, I, I think I'll be, I'll be quite surprised if, from the Italian camp over the next couple of days, anybody draws attention to this beyond the usual of, you know, trying to warm up the referee by saying either he's a great referee, we have full confidence in him, or it's very important we have a strong referee for, for Sunday's game. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. It's all fun, isn't it? <laughs> uh, finally, how do you see the game going? It's going to be really, really difficult as far as I'm concerned for England. But as you mentioned, they, they do have the talent. Will it be tight, tense, maybe one goal in it? Or do you think maybe at times it could open out a little bit? I'd be surprised if it's, if, if it's really wild and huge scoring, uh, wouldn't you? I mean, given the, you know, given the, the tension, the the attitude of both uh, managers. Uh, what will be interesting is, I mean, England have been, they've been pretty good starters, haven't they, in, in a lot of the games in this tournament, you know, quite quite up and at them for the first 15 minutes. Um, and I guess I'd anticipate that, you know, England use their pace, test those, you know, test the, the uncertainties at, at fullback. Um, but... Uh, we're, we're we're bound to have we're bound to have a very very long period of of high tension and caginess and be concerned about excessive caution in the England team and I, I, I suspect you know Italy will have exactly the same periods um, there you know there's there's in both teams there's 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 a sense of overdueness you know there's Italy without a World Cup last time round. England, as we've been reminded, without a final for an extremely long time, um, that's going to weigh on the players, isn't it? And and both sides have have you know a number of young players, so you know they are in 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 new territory in that sense. So you're bound to see a few nerves, I think. Close, it'll be close. 
And our thanks to Ian Hawkey looking ahead to the Euro 2020 final, of course, and just telling us what Italy will bring. Of course, it's a first final in nine years for Italy, which probably seems a long time for them. Remember, a first final in 55 years for England for us to look ahead to with Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson and Matt Lawton. Um, where should we start? Let's start with the, the team selection, the, the shape for England. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks they might go back to how they played against Germany, possibly. And also the personnel. Is it Saka? Is it Sancho that starts on the right hand side? Should Jordan Henderson maybe be given a start uh, for a game of this magnitude? Those are some of the questions the fans are asking. Um, Gregor, let me start with you on this one. Should he change shape? No, um, I think he'll stick with the same team. Uh, I've been championing several players ahead of Saka in this tournament, but I think this time, because Italy, the kind of way they play, although they've lost Spinazzola, it's still kind of Emerson is the is the fullback who advances on the left hand side. Insigne comes in comes inside. Um, I think his defensive kind of determination uh, will be something that Gareth Southgate prioritises. So I think it'll I think it'll probably be the same lineup. That's the only I think really that's the only we'd probably agree that's the only question mark in terms of personnel if he plays that shape. Um and Sancho would obviously be a slightly more offensive minded uh, selection, but I think it'll I think it'll probably be the same the same lineup and I think that would be a perfectly good decision for him to make. Johnny, what do you think? Change the team? I don't think so. I mean, and it would be kind of after two years or whatever it is of changing the team, it would kind of be neat and tidy if he stuck with the same team for the first time. Um, I kind of, I think Gregor's spot on. Um, think if you think how well Saka's played in two games where uh, the opposition's strength has been attacking down the left. You know, he he, he was key in limiting Miley on 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 uh, Wednesday and and did very well against. Goosens when they played Germany, uh, I think he can do that job, um, and it's it's, the, it's I can see the temptation of going three four three, but really um, this is this is England's best you know team in terms of a unit at the moment, and I think he should he should stick with it. Um, there might be a little bit of a you know I think it's the game plan within the lineup that's important. It's the specific measures that he takes to you know try and stop. Jorginho and, and Verratti dictating the the tempo of the game and to try and f- put some sort of pressure on the Italian centre-backs um, and maybe try and control Chiesa. It's those specific plans, I think, that this game will come down to rather than the formations. But one of the things that's been so impressive, as I said earlier, is that Gareth's flexible thinking that, that every game he's had a slightly different plan that's got, you know, hit a bullseye in terms of, of neutering the opposition apart from maybe Scotland when Scotland did for England what England had been doing to everyone else but starting with the Croatia game where um, you know Calvin Phillips just disrupted that great Croatian midfield and from then on there's always been something that he's done that's that's limited the opposition so I think it's the little bits within the the system that are the most important thing. Matt, do you think England should be worried about Italy? And if so, what would you be most worried about? No, I think they should definitely be, well, respectful. Um, but like I said before, I think they've been, from the from the very start of the tournament, they've looked, they've looked extremely strong, extremely well-organised, extremely uh, strong defensively. But I do think 
England have the firepower. I think that one of the reasons that um, uh, one of the reasons that I think he will stick with the same team is because the 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 the, the current formation allows him to really use. Uh, Saka and Sterling in those wide positions and I think it's their pace and that width and particularly the way that Kane was playing more um, uh, against Denmark in the way he was dropping deep and putting some of those passes in you know he put two brilliant passes in in in, uh, in the sort of 38th and 39th minute for Sterling and then for Saka the second one of which obviously led to the equaliser uh, and I think that's what they've got to do and I, I think it is the way to yeah, they, that is a brilliant Italian defence, but if they perhaps lack lack anything, it is probably pace. So I think it's about width. I think it's about speed. I think it's playing with that same intensity. And for that reason, I think the Italians have got as much to fear of England as 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 England have at Italy. I think Southgate's inclination was always to play three at the back, like. Going back a little bit, a little bit before the tournament, and then probably to kind of to be to be able to get another attacking player on the pitch, he he changed to four four at the back with two defensively minded midfielders in front of him. But even the four players that are your attackers are all disciplined. Mason Mount against Jorginho is going to be important because he his pressing, his energy. You know, he's not just a kind of talented player who can pick up in those those spaces. He's really good off the ball, and that's why Saka's playing. Let's be honest about it. There are uh, Saka's a brilliantly talented player, but Jaden Sancho, Foden, Grealish—they've got more flair. They've got more, the more unpredictability, more, uh, more skill. I would say he's playing because that's the balance that he's willing to strike. I think everyone is very, very disciplined in this team, and that's he's kind of landed upon it now. And I think there's no reason for him to change. In this match, who do we think England's key man or men will be? I think those forward areas will be very important. Lots of people may be suggesting it will be Harry Kane because they saw the way Danny Olmo dropped off the Italian centre-backs and had such joy. I think it might still be Raheem Sterling who's driven England throughout this this competition. Matt, who would you say? I think it's a combination. I would like to see Mason Mount making more of an impact. I think he had a good game against uh, Denmark, but... Yeah, I'd like to see a bit more from him. Um, yeah, but but yeah, Paul Joyce wrote about it in the Times. It, it was the old stages, if you like, and, and they're not that old. Good grief, you know, 27, 26 years old, these lads. Um, but it but it was it was Sterling, it was Kane, it was Maguire, um, who, who, who was playing such significant roles. And I think it'll be the same. I, I think I think Kane is has grown into this tournament. He, 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 in 2018, he kind of started brilliantly and, and looked leggy and tired and less effective by the end of the tournament. In this tournament, he's he's actually started a bit slower and has grown in stature with every performance. So I expect him to have a big performance on Sunday night. Johnny, who would you say England's key man will be? Yeah, I, I do think Mount is is maybe the sort of um, the hidden kind of key in 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 this for that reason that it's going to be his job to try and press Jorginho, but also getting into the box to support um, Kane and, and and Sterling and, and Saka. You know, getting movement into that box where um, 
I guess the, the, the two Italian centre-backs probably don't really want that kind of game to be played when there's people flooding in against them with a lack of pace. He's got an important thing, but I mean, it's obvious, Raheem Sterling has been the game-changer. The, he's the consistently the best performer for England, possibly a player of the tournament. If England win it, he'll, he'll be very, very close to that. Um, and again, his his sort of ability to come in from the outside and pick up a goal scoring position has just been unbelievable and, and that could that could worry the Italians and the, the other thing I'd say it could come down to the substitutes as well we've seen so many games come down to bench power and England have got so have the Italians though but England have got all those options off the bench that Gareth's used pretty well um, so it's going to, as, you know, it's going to be a combined job as Matt said but in the end it might it might, it might find it is Someone coming in, you know, especially if it's a, an extra time job and making a difference um, right at the end. I think Rice and Phillips too. I think part of it's getting, you know, getting close to Verratti. Um, and part of it is there was a couple of, been a couple of occasions, you know, against Denmark where there was too much space around Maguire and Stones. And Barella loves those forward runs in that kind of little inside right channel. So a combination of Rice being aware of that and also, also the two the two centre halves and not being too exposed. I think that you know, that is a potentially a danger for England. How do we think the game will go then? I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm so nervous about it. That I, do, I really don't want to discuss what might happen after that opening whistle. But I'll let you, I'll let you guys go for it. Um, look, England could be pressing. You know, in periods they like to do that. The Italian back four, they might get in behind. We know, of course, Chiesa, Insigne, they've been great in this tournament. Giorgino could get on the ball. It could go so many different directions. Matt, how do you think it will go? Yeah, I think it will be extremely difficult to stop Italy scoring. For as good as England have been defensively in the tournament, they are dangerous. You know, as you just said, Chiesa, Immobile, you know, they are talented players that, you know, they, they are beautiful players to watch. Uh, and they're very dangerous. And and as I say, they have they've looked that way right from the start. They're, they're an, an amazing record. The one good thing is they are due, they are due to lose a game, aren't they? Like what is it now? Thirty matches? Like, they really 33. are due. Thirty-three. They really are due a defeat, aren't they? Um, so <laughs> that's a positive spin on it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Got to happen sometime. You know. So um, yeah. So they are they are extremely dangerous and. As I say, I, I think it will be. I think England will have to step up another level. You know, they, they've played some very good teams so far in this tournament, but I think it's another level on Sunday, and I think they're capable of rising to it. But but it's going to be a hell of a test, which is why, you know, uh, you know, obviously you'd rather hope it wouldn't be a Germany Brazil scenario, but but um, uh, it, you know, it it could be. It could be a very sticky night for England, but let, let's hope that's not the case. But um, the Italians are a good side, Hugh. They really are. We know they are. Like, they're, they're such a good side. Johnny, what do you expect to see from the off at Wembley? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think it is a level up. I expect Italy to start quick. They've got this real energy um, and they press ferociously at the front. And I think they might try and really hit England early and, and, and do that to them. And um, I don't know. It's it's it, it it's it's going to be games. It's going to be a game. I think they'll have phases to it where um, you know England have ascendancy, Italy have ascendancy because they're so well matched. Um, I, I could see England going behind because I could see that 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 start being a problem for them, and then a long sort of haul back to try and break down the Italian 
defence. Um, but you know, Matt's been calling the scores, hasn't he? Um, like the was it the octopus in Germany or something like that? He's got our equivalent <laughs> here. So I think I think I'm gonna. I think one-one extra time sounds pretty plausible to me. And as I say, it, it could just be one of those games that that comes down to that final period and um, and guys coming off the bench and 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 uh, just. You know, a nervy, epic, brilliant evening. I think it's going to be brilliant. I really do. Extra time, says Jonathan Northcroft. Gregor? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to extra time as well. I don't know, Hugh. It's, it's silky to say that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's so. It's going to be so tight. I really do. Um, my gut says England, but that means nothing. It's like, I feel that they have, as Johnny says, they have a little bit more to come on from the bench. You know, Chiesa was their, was their kind of their guy to throw on and and now he's he's also I think he's there's a slight doubt about his, his fitness there certainly was um, I'm sure he'll be okay I just think England have that extra and this is a tournament where you can you know you can change half your team but I, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to extra time I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to penalties but I know that England have worked very hard on them and they've won the last two penalty shootouts which is a a shift as well another shift I just feel there's been a lot of shifts <laughs> a lot of steps forward for England and I feel there might be one more there could be I mean it could be remarkable fingers crossed for whatever happens whoever wins a fantastic final uh, to finish Euro 2020 because it's been a fantastic tournament we'll reflect of course on that final on Monday but uh, Jonathan Northcroft Matt Lawton Gregor Robertson thank you for being with me on the game podcast once again never got a score from you Matt You've been the uh, no, Nostradamus. I said, no, I said, I said, I said one one penalties. One one pent. Oh, okay, no one wants to say the yeah. exact scoreline. Fair enough. Well, uh, look, let's see how it all comes down to it. Keep those nerves aside for one more evening. Uh, thank you all for listening. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a five star review wherever you're listening, and make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you soon after the end whisper it of Euro 2020. See you soon.